Um, the last time I preached, I was, it was about falling in love with God. I had some really honest questions come up after that message, some really great questions. People asked me, when did you fall in love with God? How did you fall in love with God? How long did it take? How did you know that you'd fall in love with God? Great, great questions. This message, it's not a follow-up to that message, but I do hope that it will help with some of those questions and help us all in the journey of falling deeper in love with God. Jesus was asked at one point in his ministry, what is the greatest commandment? And he responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul. But I was many, many years into my journey with Jesus when I read that verse from what must have been the 100th time when I asked myself, but Steve, do you? Do you really love God with all your mind and all your heart and all your soul? I understood the command to love God. I sang all the lyrics of the songs that we sing in worship. This is all for you. I love you with all that I am. You are first and only in my life. I can honestly tell you, I wanted to love God more than anything else in my life. But after walking with God for many, many years, I truly could not say that I loved God first and foremost in my heart. I just needed to be honest. In a quiet moment with God, I admitted that. In my heart, I loved my wife, I loved my children, perhaps even so much as my friends, even my safety and my comfort and my pleasure more than I loved God. I'm okay with admitting that. I really am. I'm even okay if I'm the only Christian that struggled with that. But with my conversations, I don't think that I am. I've always been really honest with God, and my admission started me on a journey. And today, many, many years later, I can tell you that I can look at you and say, I do now love God more than anything else and more than anyone else. And I want to share with you some of the discoveries that got me there. Discoveries about me, discoveries about the world, and discoveries about God that made me love him first and foremost. The story is long and the adventure is amazing and it still continues today, but I wanna tell you in the end what God showed me, a very simple illustration that helped me on that journey to a deeper love of God. It was a silly picture that God gave me as I spent time with him. And here's simply what he said to me. Is he said, Steve, you love A to Z. You love linear, linear. You love everyone in your life. You love from you to your wife, you to your children, you to your friends, you as a pastor. Everything that you love is linear. And I was like, yes, I do. And then he started to walk me through all of those relationships. And all of a sudden, he took me on a journey where I realized that every time I tried to love linearly, I fell short. I missed something. I missed it in my marriage. I missed it with my children. I missed it in friendships over and over and over again. And God gave me this simple illustration. Steve, I tell you to love me first 
because only then can you love those you love. Simple, but profound. I walked through my life and realized the reality. I couldn't do anything for those that I love most. I can't keep my wife safe. I can't keep my children alive. Only God can do that. And that's why he says, love me first. And that began the change of everything. Want to see it lived out? Chad and Karis did it. Nobody loves their child more than Chad and Karis love Cade, but they knew well enough that they had to love Cade first by going through God. And we watched it for 11 months. That's that little triangle. Simple but profound, I think, or at least it was for me. You know, that changed everything. I found that I had an entirely different way to live. I found out and Mark, I'm going to go ahead and we can go ahead and take this down. I found out that I could, there was an entirely different level of being a husband I could reach. I found out that I could be a different father when I love my children through God first. I found out that I was a different friend when I loved through God first, a different pastor, a different everything when I love through God first. And God gave me another picture. He gives me a lot of pictures. And don't think these all happen in one night. These are over years, Okay. I have a really long, really long driveway. And I went out to get a snowblower and I saw the uh, YouTube video of this snowblower and it was a machine. It just threw snow 10, 12 feet in the air everywhere. So I went out and I got this snowblower and I started that bad boy up. The first snow came and I went and I started pushing and it was like, bleh, bleh, bleh. It would throw snow a little bit at a time, bog down. I'd have to back it up, let it rev up again. I'd start it again. I was like, this stinks. And I got my driveway done about four hours later. And then I realized I had the choke on. I reached down and I flipped off the choke. And that machine started throwing snow left and right like you can't believe. 30 minutes, my driveway's done. And I realized I was being a husband, a father, a friend, a pastor on choke. I was getting things done, but there was a whole different gear that God had for me if I would do it through him first. Now I can honestly, yes, I love God first and foremost because I have realized I can't love anyone well until I first love it through him. How did I come to learn this? How did I come to believe this? How did I come to need this? Did God tell me? Yes, he did. But more accurately, he taught me. The silly triangle that changed my life came to me was built over spending many, many months and years actually at the feet of Jesus. It wasn't a single moment that God made this clear to me. It was a lesson learned on a journey as he met with me, as he walked with me, as he listened to me, as he prayed with me, as I worshiped with him. That is the gold of spending time with God. He will teach us what the Bible calls mysteries of God. That very simply just means this. There are things that only God knows and he wants to tell them to us. That's all that mysteries of God. When we see that in the scriptures, it just means there are things that only he knows and he wants to share them with us. It's promised in the scriptures. 
if we'll spend time with him. We have been in this series called Jesus Today. Our hope is that while celebrating and honoring Jesus in the past and while looking forward to Jesus in the future, we will realize and feast on who Jesus is and all that he has for us today. We are going to end this series talking about the single most important key to tapping into all that Jesus has for us today. We're going to talk about time with God. Stop it. I saw what you just did. You just checked out. You said, been there, done this a hundred times. I know it. I'm begging you. Don't check out on me today. Will you believe that somehow today is the day? That somehow God wants to do something very specifically, not as a group, but with each one of us to help us find out how we get to and go to all the treasures that he has at his feet for us. Will you believe for me today? Will you trust God for 35 minutes that maybe today he's going to show us where we get bogged down, where we get stuck and set us free and you're gonna hear specifically from him. Will you believe me for this? This is a special time for God and you today and for God and me today. Good, because I don't have a plan B. Please take out something to take some notes with. <clears throat> I know it might be phones for some of you. I'm a paper guy, but whatever you need to, please take out something to take note with. Not because I'm going to say something fantastic, but because I'm going to move through some huge concepts and large chunks of scripture. Each concept is a deep dive in itself, so I can't go there in every one of these single categories. But somewhere in here is your deep dive. I believe that with all my heart. Somewhere in here as I go through this, God's going to lay on your heart where it is that you may struggle, where it is that you're stuck, and where you can be set free to go even deeper and fuller into a life with God. If you don't do this, it's just gonna turn into the 101st time you've heard this message. And it's gonna die without any fruit and I might as well not have wasted my time. At the top of your notes, please write, Jesus today, waiting for you. There's no question that spending time with Jesus is a fight. I believe that fight is with Satan because if there's anything that Satan does not want, it is to have Jesus' followers spend time at his feet. No one knows the power at Jesus' feet more than Satan does. And he's really good and has been historically really good at keeping us from those feet. So it is a fight. Let's hear directly from our champion, Jesus. I'm going to be reading from some selected verses from John chapters 13 through 17. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that this is his hour, had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see, in John chapter 13 is the beginning of the end in terms of Jesus' ministry on earth. He knows that he is just days away from being crucified and that he will die. And in 13 through 17, we get to hear what Jesus felt he needed to tell his followers the most. I think it is safe to assume under these circumstances and with this teaching that if we want to know what was the thing that Jesus wanted his followers to hear, we can find it in chapters 13 through 17. I really encourage a deep dive there. I'm going to pull out just a few passages of what it, we think Jesus had for us on what it would look like even after 
his crucifixion. And I want to prove that by, if we look at verse 1720, Jesus said in this, the high priestly prayer, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, not those just present, but for those who will believe in me through their word. Guess who that is? You and me. When Jesus says these things, he had every one of us in mind. We're the ones who have come to believe through their words. So this is what Jesus had in mind for us after his crucifixion and after his resurrection. John 14, 18, I will not leave you alone as orphans. I will come to you. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. John 15, four through five, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some stuff, but not a lot. No, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. These verses just scratch the surface, but can we all agree that Jesus felt that an ongoing connection with his disciples was really, really important? Can we all agree that if we want to accomplish all that we want to, if we want to do life well, Jesus said we would have to abide in him. We would have to stay connected to the vine. Can we all agree that Jesus promised access in relationship? Not just later when we get to heaven, but these words were about an ongoing relationship with him for today and every day. He promised it. In fact, early in chapter 13, Jesus said something that was a little bit confusing. He said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. You must also love one another. But see, the confusing thing is that wasn't a new commandment. Loving one another, that was given in Leviticus a long time ago. So it wasn't new. When Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment, I think what he was talking about is the fact that you have now been loved by me. And now you can love through me. That's what was new. And that's the potential we all have. I believe Jesus was saying what's new is that you've been loved by me. And just like um, my triangle, he's saying, don't go out there before you start here at being loved by me. But we're not doing that. We're shooting out there thinking we can do it on our own. And it's a struggle. We gotta start at his feet. That's the new thing that was available to us. It's my triangle. That's my triangle verse. Can we agree that the ongoing relationship with Jesus, abiding with Jesus, was Jesus' number one for his followers? It was his number one, folks, for every one of us. So how are we doing? How are we doing as a church? How are we doing as a body of believers? Not great. Every statistic that I've seen, in fact, the last statistic I've seen said between 10 and 13% will say and admit that they have an ongoing daily time with Jesus in their lives, 10 to 
Now, I don't know if that statistic's accurate, but you know what? I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to prove it because here's one thing I can tell you. In all that I've ever talked about this, I've never had somebody really take up a big argument and say, no, I think it's like 90%. (laughs) So can we just say we got a lot of room for growth and we don't need to remember about the number? But it's a problem. Why not? Why is it such a struggle? Well, we saw what our champion taught and encouraged. Let's look at the competition. And I want to start with a story that happened with me. And I think it cuts right to the problem. So I was meeting with a guy. And he, asked, he had approached me and said, I want to meet with you. I want to grow in my discipleship. So we met. And we met for about six months, seven months, eight months. And I kept saying, hey, my number one is time with Jesus. And at eight, end of eight months, I said, are you meeting with Jesus? No. I said, well, listen, let's just say his name is Mike. Mike, here's the thing. I've given you my number one. You're not doing that. So why do you want my number four, five, and six? So I said, I love you, but until you start with the number one, I just don't think this is working. So we stopped meeting. And it was okay, parted amiably, it wasn't a problem. He came up to me at a retreat about a year later and he said, Steve, I'm ready to start meeting again. I said, good, you spending time with Jesus? No. I said, he goes, but I really want to. I really, really want to. I said, really, can you tell me what happens in your morning? Well, yes, I get up to spend time with the scriptures and with Jesus, and I go to my mailbox, and I get my sports page, and I end up reading my sports page. But I really would rather be in the Bible. I said, oh, so you're sitting there reading about the Colts and the statistics saying, darn it, I want to go to the Bible, but I just can't break away from this. He goes, no. I said, time to be honest with yourself, bro. You think the sports page gives you more than the Bible does in time with Jesus. I said, your life betrays it. We go to where we think we'll get the most. And he said, you're right. Time to be honest, right? So let's look at the competition. Look at all our choices, sleeping in, getting started on that project at work, getting a head start on the project at home, hobbies, shopping, fantasy football, getting the kids' rooms fixed up, starting breakfast, working out, Netflix, Facebook, Instagram. That's a lot. Is any of it bad? No. Well, (laughs) don't get me going. (laughs) Is any of it bad? No, not in themselves. But Jesus is losing to them. There's no other way to put it. Jesus is losing to Instagram. Jesus is losing to Facebook. And that's, that's not bad. That's sad. Because there's nothing on that list that can give you anything close to what Jesus can give you. Every time we trade time with Jesus for something else on that list, we're just making a really bad trade. Do we have a knowledge problem? We know what Jesus taught. We know what he said is best for us. We don't have a knowledge problem. We have a faith problem. We have a faith problem. We're not yet convinced that there's more at Jesus' feet than what can find me on my posts and my blogs. It's okay. It's okay to admit it. God already knows. And then he can get to work on it. He's not threatened by these things. (laughs) 
He's not intimidated. Just needs us to get really honest. So if we're going to change this, if we're going to drink all that Jesus has waiting to give us, we have to renew our minds in some key areas. To borrow Andrew's title from earlier in the series, he said, we have to shift some thinking. And we needed some thinking shifts. I'm going to go through five diagnostic areas. My contention is this. If you're struggling in your time with Jesus, you will find your battleground in one or more of these areas. Here is where your work begins. I'm going to ask you to listen for what God says to you. I'm going to believe that somehow during this message, during this teaching, you're going to know where you're struggling or where you're stuck. And that I'm going to ask you to actually put a star by that in your notes. I'm going to ask you to believe for it and put a star by it so that you'll know what is God saying to you. Here's where I want to meet with you. Here's where I want to set you free. Here's where I want you and I to take our next step. Will you believe me for that? Okay. Let's get started. And by the way, these are not an acrostic. They do not rhyme, and they do not all begin with the same letter. Sorry, but I just finished this at 4 o'clock this morning, and I couldn't get it done. So, first core shift that will happen on your journey is that as you spend more time with God, it will feel less and less like an obligation and more like an invitation. You will measure your journey by your travel from obligation to invitation. Now, I'm going to ask you to do a diagnostic, honest, just for you, okay? I'm going to ask you to put yourself two ratings. First rating is... If you had to put a, give yourself a number on where you are between obligation, time with God is an obligation, time with God is an invitation. One, ten. Ten is you can't wait to get up in the morning and have an, because it's such an invitation. Where are you right now? Give yourself an honest number. Nobody else is going to see it. Okay. Second number I want you to give yourself. I want you to think back six months, a year, even five years. And I want to say, where were you on that graph that time? If you look at your history, I want you to give yourself a number. What is that number? Is that making sense? Think back. And what I'm looking for, as you can tell, is, is your first number bigger than your second number? That's what you care most about. Are you moving towards invitation? Don't think of it all as a light switch, that all of a sudden you are going to get up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden you're going to run to God and you're going to do it. What you're concerned about is this is a journey and you just want to know, are you going on the journey? And those two numbers are numbers you can use to guide yourself. Am I growing? Am I heading in the right direction? Does that make sense? Okay, so... Invitation, obligation or invitation. You will grow as you focus on the journey, not on the point. Do not measure your journey in mornings or even weeks. At least months, maybe even years. That's going to be a much more honest reflection. Because what will happen, many of the illustrations that I share with you, it sounds like I just got up one morning and they gave it. Some of these journeys are two and a half, four years long. But it was happening all along the way. Does that make sense? Give yourself permission to be on the journey. Okay. Do not measure thoughts, months, years. Okay? He is at work. He's faithful. And one day you're going to wake up and you're going to be so excited with anticipation to spend time at his feet and you're going to say, I'm there. It's going to happen. It has to happen because he's faithful 
and he's good. It's not about what you do. It's about just spending time with him and him being that good. Enjoy the rest of the journey. If you're meeting with him, you are moving towards invitation. Second core shift. The conviction of the futility of our minds. Surrendering to this reality. You can't figure this out. And what do I mean by this? Life. You don't got this. Nobody does. And until you realize that, you're going to struggle with spending time with God. We sometimes think we're so smart. If we can work long enough, if we can write, get the talented people around us, if we can put enough effort into it, we can figure this out. Even as Christians, we think, well, God gave us these gifts and these talents. I just need to put them into operation. Wrong. Wrong. You're my snowblower on choke, if that's what you're doing. Can I save you 20 years? You don't have this, and you're never going to. From today until the day you go home, you're going to need God. I just saved you 20 years of my journey. (laughs) Ephesians 4.17 says this, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, I can think, I can calculate, I can work, I can manipulate, I can devise all I want. The only way I'm ever going to know the right way and the best way is to go and hear it from God. The scriptures are clear. Don't try to live in the futility of your minds. I can tell you, can I tell you all the things I do have figured out? Being a husband. (laughs) Being a father. I got my business. None of it. None of it. I know less today than I did 30 years ago. God has changed my understanding of money, love, parenting, my manhood, my intimacy, my wife. It's everything. I keep going back to God because I wanna know what else he knows about me better than I know about myself. That's why I run to him. A huge factor of why I run is that I am full of conviction of the futility of my own mind. And no offense, I'm also equally convicted of the futility of your mind. (laughs) I really welcome what you have to say, but I don't think you've got this figured out either. And neither does Fox News, CNN, Trump, Barack Obama, talk show hosts, celebrities, or self-help books. They don't have it. I'm not saying they're bad, but if that's where you're going... You're not just taking second string. You're on about 10 strings down. At 25, I knew it all. I can't believe how stupid I got in the last 30 years. (laughs) Now I got nothing. I kid you not, I think I'll make a better scrambled egg if I do it with God. You think I'm joking? I don't. 
I have seen him in the littlest details. I believe I'll make a better scrambled egg if I do it with God. I'm desperate for God to tell me what to do. There's no other place to get his wisdom and help. Everything, everything else is simply like chasing after the wind. Third core belief. You must believe in his power. If you're going to grow in your time with God, you have to believe what, that in the vine, in abiding with Jesus, him in us and we in him, that there is supernatural power that is available nowhere else. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Acts 4.33, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. There is power waiting for you at the feet of Jesus that you can't get anywhere else. You can't touch it anywhere else. Fourth core belief is that if you're going to lock into a daily time with Jesus, you need to believe in the possibility of his presence. This is where we started today. You're not going to go if you don't think he's going to meet you there. But if you can convince yourself he's there, what's going to keep you in bed? If I told you God's downstairs and he wants to tell you all this stuff about your life, you think there's anything that's going to keep you, can we then admit the reason we don't go down is that we're not sure he's there? He's there. He's there. John 15, 5, I'm the vine. We looked at this. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. And this promise in Matthew, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Presence of Jesus is not just possible. It's promised. It's promised. Last. <laughs> Last. You need a core belief about when you have met with God. You need a core understanding of when you can look and say, I met with God. I found this to be very confusing to people, wondering, saying, when did it happen? Did I meet? Did I not? What do I wait for? What am I doing? How many verses do I read? How much time do I put in? Great questions. But if you don't have an end zone to know when you got there, I think it becomes a struggle. I cannot say for sure what that end zone is, but I'm going to tell you what my experiences is. Maybe it'll be different than yours, but maybe with my sharing my end zone, it'll help you guys. Is it in the amount of scripture you read? It's not been for me. Is it when you prayed through all your prayer list? I've done that. I wasn't always sure when I met with God through that. Is it when your timer goes off after 30 minutes? That definitely wasn't the answer. How much time scripture versus praying, listening, and worship? I honestly don't think there is a set rule, role, time, or process. This is about you and God. Give yourself freedom to enjoy the process. The only way to, fall, to fail in meeting with God is to not do it. And unfortunately, that's what we often default to. And it's the only way we fail. I'm afraid that all the questions, all the concern over the how, what, when get us all bound up and we freeze and we panic and we get frustrated and we make the only choice that is failure, we don't go at all. Don't let that happen to you. 
I can't answer all the questions. I don't even think there is a practical answer to all of them or definitive, but I will find out that having an end zone helped me. Having a way and a time to know and to celebrate rest and an affirmation that I just met with God was really, really helpful to get me to go back the next day. My end zone is that I know when I have met with God, when I simply have that moment when I remember who God is. It is when I remember who God is that I don't get wrapped up in the specifics. I know right there, right then, I just met with God. The world and all the struggles in it, all the talking heads, all the endpoint points, bombard me with this. There is no God, or if there is a God, he doesn't know you, he doesn't hear you, he doesn't listen to you, or if he does, he's not strong enough and he's not worried about you. I get bombarded with this and sometimes I start to get shaken and I start to get a little bit anxious and I start to get a little bit fearful and I start asking questions about God. Are you there? Are you listening? Does he care? Is he strong enough? And I get stuck there. I run to my time with God. I read the scriptures. I pray. I worship. I sit in quiet and listen until that flooding moment when it washes over me where I remember who God is. I have realized, and I want you to think with me about this, every sin I fall into Every fear that captures my life, every anxiety that takes me over, every anger that controls me, and every sin that takes me and misleads me has a trail back to something I have either forgotten about God or stopped believing about God. So I follow the trail as far as I have to until I find my way back there and remember who God is. I have a question for you. <laughs> if God's everything he says he is, if everything in the scriptures is true, if he parted the Red Sea, if he walked through that sea, if he gave the blind sight and he let the lame walk, if he rose Jesus from the dead, then what's gonna wreck your day? nothing we just got to get there just got to remember who he is I've met with God when he washes over me and that assurance and that power and he whispers to me you are my child and I got this and he says to me like he said to the woman in the well I am him I am here, and I am enough. That's when I know I've met with God. I get carried away by all the what's in my life. What do I need to do, God? What is my purpose? I get swallowed up in the winds of my life. When, God, are you going to do this? Or when are you going to do that? And when are you going to fix this and change that? I get paralyzed by the how in my life. How do I fix this? How do I make it through this? How long will this take? I get caught overwhelmed by the why, God. Why is my daughter so sick for so long? But it's in my time with God. 
that he rushes back in and tells me who he is. And rushing affirmation, all the what's and the why's and the when's, they get swallowed up by the who. It's all swallowed up in the who of God. And I feel at peace and rest, safe in my Father's arms. Why do we talk about time with God so much? Because it was Jesus' number one, so it's our number one. Because it's an invitation, not an obligation. He is not standing here doing this. Come spend time with me. He's doing this. Come and be at my feet. You won't believe all that I have for you and all that we'll do together. Because with him there is power. Because we have futility of our own minds. Because with him there's power and because in his presence it's not only possible, it's promised. And because of the who swallows up every what, when, why, and how. And we get to rest. And we get to rest. And every trial and every struggle and every joy and every celebration and every minute of every day and for all eternity, all of this is there for all of us at the feet of Jesus. He's just waiting for you. We'd like to be a community that doesn't just listen to a message. We believe that response is really, really important. So I'm hoping that today, what I'm going to ask you to do is that I'm just going to ask you to be honest and look and say, was there a star anywhere? Was there any place that God pointed and said, here's where you're losing faith. Here's where I need you to focus on. Here's what I need you to trust me for. I need you to look at your mind. I need you to look at my power. Anything in there. And I'm going to ask you a question. Are you willing to make a commitment for 30 days? No matter what happens, no matter how tired you are, no matter what happens in your life, to set aside a committed time for Jesus for 30 days. That sounds like an obligation. It starts there. I'm asking you to make the commitment because you cannot happen. You can't lock into it. You can't get the faith for it until you experience it. It's only so much you can get from listening to my stories. Will you commit to yours? And I'm going to ask you to do one more step. If you'll make that commitment, I'm going to ask you to tell somebody about it and hold for them accountable. Do not leave it just on your paper. Tell somebody. Somebody who will actually hold you accountable. And if you're struggling with an accountability partner, here's my email. Well, maybe. My email is going to be up there. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. So remember I told you, I downloaded these slides. So, um, well, um, I do have an email. Um, seriously, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. If you need an accountability partner, it's easy for me to do by email. I'll touch base with you. Here's my email, S-T-E-V-E-Z-N-A-C-H-K-O at Comcast.net. And I will be your accountability partner for the next 30 days. I believe in you that much. So, as we worship, pray through that. Ask God to help you with it. Make a commitment between you and him.